Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Women in B2B Marketing. Today, we have with us a very special guest, the one, the only Shema Haider, who is CEO of Zen Media, two times best-selling author of the Zen of Social Media Marketing and Momentum. I'm sure there's probably more in the mix and more coming. Keynote speaker, four times LinkedIn top voice in marketing, and a million other accolades, 30 under 30, 25 under 25 across the board, all of the mecca of the list out there. So Shema, thank you for joining us today. We're so pumped to have you. Thank you, Jane. I'm excited to be here. I didn't realize there were enough women in B2B to have a podcast. So this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yay. I know, right? It's a small but mighty group and I feel like it's growing and growing and Exactly. Like you said, I think there's also just not enough women in B2B marketing that get out there and speak and represent us well. So hopefully this gives a little platform to do so more. I love it. Thank you. And I love, I always ask our guests to start off with just how you got into B2B marketing in the first place. So (laughs) I think it would be, I would be remiss if I didn't start at the beginning and explain like how I got into marketing and then- B2B sort of became a bigger chunk of it in as it does. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. anybody to, I don't think anybody graduates and goes, I'm gonna go into B2B, right? It's not what yeah. it is. You don't even know what it is back then. <laughs> you really don't. So yeah, I got my start in social media. I did my thesis on Twitter when it had two thousand users. So super nice. early days, was very passionate about marketing and in, in all facets, but especially digital, right? It's just a fascinating time and space to play in. And I started Zen Media, which is my agency right out of school. We were one of the first social media agencies in the world, arguably. And then we evolved from that to really be full scale, a lot of marketing and PR. So we focus a lot on content, social, earned, you know, organic, the kind of juicy, good stuff (laughs) that that I'm such a fan of and, and a proponent for. And then a funny thing happened. So never woke up one day and thought, oh, we should go after B2B. I think it just ended up. So we do work with B2C clients, but B2B became a big like bread and butter. And I think it's because, and I always say this, and I frankly find B2C to be easier (laughs) Mm, (laughs) because, right? Like, and I'm not saying this is true for every brand, but generally speaking, I think B2C is easier right? Like if you're marketing or doing PR for JLo's latest perfume, it's a little different, just a little than, you know, like some of our clients where we might have an enterprise cybersecurity platform and you're selling to like 50 CISOs at the fortune Mm -hmm. 500, whatever it is. And so it's, I think it takes a certain skill set and a certain level of sophistication as a marketer. So uh, to be honest, I like B2B. I think it's more challenging. I think it's more fun. I think it's a distinct advantage for us at Zen just because there's not enough firms that play in the space and do a really good job at it. So that's the long and short of it. 
Love that. It is funny how people get kind of drawn to B2B for the challenge of it. But you're right, especially on the agency side, it's it's really hard to do the latter of what you said, the, a really good job at it, right? So kudos to Zen for figuring it out. And one thing so funny, you said your thesis was on Twitter. We'll dive into this in a couple ways. Yeah. My thesis in college was on Facebook. So funny. No <laughs> yeah, like back when it was first coming out and the impacts that it had on people. Small world. But That's speaking awesome. of Twitter, I'm curious. I think I, I saw something you were posting about it, but I'm curious. It's a loaded word right now, obviously. There's so many people and brands that have pulled out of Twitter. And mm -hmm. there's also some brands that are taking advantage of that and testing it out more or testing out the ad side of it. I'm curious where you think things are going to go on Twitter. I mean, the ad side and the organic side. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Twitter is a juggernaut, right? I don't think it falls overnight or anything like that. I mean, I yeah. think there's only been a death by a thousand cuts type of thing going on, but not to say that any of it is irreversible, right? So here's yeah. the thing that I always tell people, Jane, and I think it's so important is is not to get caught up in which platform because people say, oh, threads, it's what's yeah. next, is this where I should be? So tell people, look, it doesn't matter because there'll always be something new, some shiny new platform, something different. And, you know, LinkedIn, which is like a huge platform for us, and, and we use it a ton with our B2B clients too. It's like, that's also changing. The algorithm changes, like change is the one constant in our world. I think what's really important to remember is that people are now the media. Yeah. The question that you should really be asking yourself is how do you leverage that? Like, how do you ride the wave? So I don't care if something doesn't last forever. I, like, I think it's fair to go in and saying nothing will last forever. But is this can, something I can leverage right now? Can I take advantage of it? Is my audience there? Can we do something cool and noteworthy, right? Yeah. And there. And so that's my general approach. So I never get too caught up in like which platform. Yeah. That, and you mentioned something really good there too, is, is my audience there? Because mm. you should always just follow your audience, right? Depending on what platform they're on and, and the size marketing team you have or agency to be able to be on all of these platforms. Because you probably A, don't have to be if your audience isn't there or B, pick and choose. Do you feel like it, it matters? I know some marketers say, pick one or two platforms and stick with it and do them really, really well instead of spreading yourself thin across multiple. Do you subscribe to that kind of mentality or have a different perspective? So a couple of things, right? Again, I, I tend to be platform agnostic. Like I don't care what the platform is as long as like, can you ride this wave? Can you take advantage of it? So look, if you're limited in resources, by all means, pick one or two platforms that you're going to do a great job with and and dig in. It's always funny to me how like people are so obsessed with threads right now. And that's sort of yeah. the hot thing. But I'm like, but you haven't looked at YouTube and YouTube is one of the biggest platforms, <laughs> right? Search engines. And like, so I think we do have a bit of like, let me chase whatever's novel and under the sun. Yeah. And I think at the same time, understanding that your audience is also changing. Like I think in B2B that's often so missed too is people get so hyper-targeted into what they think their audience is. Like this is our persona. These are the only people I want to get in front with, front of. Everyone else doesn't matter. But the world we live in today, it doesn't work that way because the conversations are happening about your brand, right? So technically you don't have to be on threads for someone to talk about your brand or share something or, you know, and 
again, this is sort of the power of dark social, and we can talk about that too. Yeah. But I do think that's sort of fascinating is not being too niche with this is my audience and this is the only, because your audience is, it's also a moving target. Like LinkedIn did this study, and I always find this fascinating, and they have so much data, pretty much, right? A professional that has a profile on LinkedIn, they have data on. And what they found was so fascinating that every three to four years, 40% of their membership changes industry, seniority, jobs, like it's massive. So if you think about, if you have a longer sales cycle, right? Let's say you have a longer Mm -hmm. sales cycle and you're trying to woo this person, that person may not even be there at that job, that company, that industry. And so we think there's real value in building a brand that is bigger than just like, I need to be in front of this audience. And so I think that's a challenge for B2B. But I don't think it's the only challenge. (laughs) Yeah, so many. What do you think? So building a brand for B2B, Mm. how would you get started? Because I'm sure a lot of your clients that come to you are already established and they might be switching or wanting to just rebrand and change the audience they're in front of or just become a bigger brand than they currently are known as. But for that side, how do where do you get started? And then we can dive into those that are just starting out. Yeah. So we work with both what I will call like champion brands and challengers, right? So like the Davids and the Goliaths of the world. And so I think there's, there's that. It's hard to have the conversation about brand and where you should start without first, I think, looking at why that matters, right? Mm -hmm. So not because Shama said so, not because I heard it on this podcast, but your own customers. And I think this goes back to like, what does B2B get wrong so often? And I think the biggest connect is how people buy and how they're talking about you. And so one of my biggest frustrations often is that B2B takes a lot of pride traditionally in being sales-led. And you can see that because the sales budgets are so much bigger than marketing budgets at at B2B companies. And in even more shadow situations, the marketing department is like an on-demand collateral center at best, right? For sales. Like, get me a website. Can we get a logo? Hey, can we get this landing page? Like sales really leads marketing. And it's not really, it's not even fair to call it marketing because that's not what it is, right? Sales enablement. Yeah, Yeah. sales enablement and just doing some very digital stuff, maybe like a graphic designer with a glorified title. It's so much of marketing. And The truth is this wasn't a bad way to do it when your customers had to start with your company for the information that they needed. So Mm -hmm. let's say you're selling a large scale printer. I'm just making this up. You're in manufacturing. They can't get that information unless they talk to sales. Hey, we're looking at this. So your first point of contact is sales. Mm -hmm. But that is completely flipped now because there's so much data on this and so much research but I think it was Gartner that over 90% of the buying process is already done before they ever approach sales. Yeah. And so how can you be a sales, like sales first organization? And when I say first, I literally mean that in not in terms of value, but chronologically speaking, right? Because that's yeah. not the first entry point for your buyers. It's not sales. <laughs> it's yeah. So they are influenced through all these things, they're doing their own research. They're looking at printers. They're like, they don't need to talk to anybody. And in fact, what I think is fascinating is now, even with search, like 
we get leads, our clients are getting leads from chat GPT, like AI. It's like, it's not, yeah. there was no query, but they're doing so much research. And so that I think is the ultimate argument for what you were asking, Jane, which is that's why you need a brand because mm-hmm. you have to influence. And this is hard for, I think, not just for B2B but marketers, but especially in B2B, because they almost feel like the last 10, 15 years have been the anomaly. And I call it almost like the data delusion, because if yeah. it's not attributable, if it's not clickable, if it's not connectable, if I can't connect these two things together, yeah, <laughs> I know it's working. And it's a bit maddening because it's like, all you have to do is talk to your customers, step outside your B2B hat and look at how you engage with the world, right? So yeah. I feel like a very micro example of this. So sometimes B2B clients, especially will say, we don't get engagement on our posts. This is so common. Like we posted yeah. about this, our new SaaS product, our launch or go-to market strategy. And like, we didn't get any comments on it. And then when I simply ask them, like, how much do you comment on yourself? Like yeah. as a leader in when they're like, oh, I never comment. Mm-hmm. What do you do instead? Oh, we share it in Slack. We, you know, yeah. we talk about it in Zoom, we'll email it. Like, all, so that is like the essence of dark social. It's not new yeah. term, right? It's, it's very different. But like the idea that people consume publicly, but share privately is sort of this thesis of everything, <laughs> how it works. Yeah. Like, of course, people, what are they going to comment? Like yeah. nobody engages with the world like that. And yeah. I think, B2C gets that. Like if you see this Barbie craze right now, right? Yeah. Like, we can tell, like they have spent umpteenth number of dollars. Billions, and, yeah. And people have been like, this is a great strategy. And I was like, why pitching this to a B2B company? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, of course it's effective. People aren't idiots. They're not doing yeah. this for kicks and just because they love Barbie. Like that's not what's happening here. Yeah. But again, like I think with B2B, it's this like, even if you pulled off this amazing thing, it would be like, yes, but how many leads did we get from this? Right? It's- <laughs> yeah. So, it is. so, anyway, so it's, it's a long answer to your question. No, but I, you brought up so many topics that I want to dive into more because it's so true, this brand component and dark social and attribution, right? We can talk for hours just on those three. With dark social... I'm curious, how are you, I'm sure your clients ask this all the time, like how can we attribute value to this campaign and this channel and this platform when they're not thinking brand and high level, how do you bring them back? Like asking these rhetorical questions, like, right? Like where do you think about how you spend your time and how you research and how you share, Mm -hmm. but also they're still going to want some kind of traction, right? So do you subscribe to, what is it, self-reported attribution, retrend that's come back around full circle? Or is there another way that you try to tie things together or throw attribution out altogether? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's first of all, I always tell people, like, choose the meaningful over the merely measurable, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just not a smart way to, to do things. And luckily, the clients we have, I think, get this. Like, they're not... Okay. You know what I mean? They understand, yeah. they see it. And then yes, call it self-reported, call, whatever. I think people come up with fancy terms in our world. We do. For <laughs> things, but it's like, yeah, ask your customers. That's not new. Like, yeah. qualitative, no. right? So gosh, I've been keynoting for 16 years now. And remember when I first started, I would tell people like, 
there are two ways to measure. There is the quantitative and then there is the qualitative. Exactly. Like, and so I think that's really what people are talking about. And you look at both, like the quantitative is great. It'll tell you, you can look at things, but this kind of obsession with one has to go to the, it doesn't work that way, especially in B2B, because just look at the factors. You're rarely selling to one person. Yeah. You're selling to committees. Two, you're I think the last thing that I read was Forrester had said that it's 27 touch points before someone goes from a prospect wow. to a buyer. 27. So do you, these also don't happen in a funnel, right? So I think one, yeah. that's like, I think the funnel is broken. I think the funnel is such a outdated concept because it puts brand and kind of advertising at odds too. So there's like the brand side, right? Which yes. is our creative, blah, blah but they don't really care about results. And then you have the performance side, which is uh, for your brand, but like, Hey, you got the clicks. And so yeah, it's almost unfair because people aren't buying at either end. They're buying in the middle. And this isn't me saying this. So Google spent millions of dollars on this research. You guys can look it up. It's called the messy middle. And that's what they found too, that people aren't buying in a funnel. They're buying in this sort of messy middle which mm. consists of two loops of exploration and evaluation. And so they're looking at lots of options. How do we solve this problem internally, outside, lots of options. Then you have the, the loop of evaluation. Okay, we've got three options. Maybe we choose from these three options. That's generally where sales gets a call, right? They're already evaluating, yeah. done like the exploring thing kind of overlaps because someone on the team may go, hey, did you guys check this out? Or have you seen this? And yeah. That, so that process happens at the same time. And then after evaluation, obviously there's a purchase made. But what was fascinating was the miasma around this whole messy middle is exposure. So mm. the more someone sees your brand, the more likely they are to do business with you. Right? Mm. So my team knows, I always say, like repetition drives revenue. And that's a lot yeah. of great repetition. The other thing that I think is so misunderstood is sometimes people will say like B2C and B2B are the same. If you're selling to human beings, human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like human to human selling. And I'm like, yes, obviously, I don't think anyone's saying you're selling to chimpanzees. Like, I think <laughs> it, it is a human being. And the key kind of driver between these purchases could not be more different because as a consumer, yeah. you're trying to avoid regret. Right. Like, I don't want to buy these pair of shoes because, man, I'm going to like, right. I never do this, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> I have heard of people buying shoes and then not being happy with them the next day because they don't fit or whatever. And you're like, oh, maybe just squeeze into them a little bit or whatever. Right. Yeah. And you just want to avoid that sense of regret. In B2B, it's a cover your ass. Like, yeah. trying to prevent blame. People, Often, I think the instinctual thing is like, well, that's not true. But it's like, yeah, think about it, though. Like, you want to make sure that you are. And that's not to say you only care about that, but it's the driver to make sure that you are not making a bad decision. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you go to your boss and say, hey, like the old adage, which I thought was great, was people used to say nobody got ever got fired for buying from IBM. Yeah. Right. Which represented big blue and safety and trust. And so I always think that's kind of a fascinating example because there was a reason for that. Like, yeah. even if the project went off kilter, you'd be like, well, I got the best boss. Like, you can't blame me. Rickford. Like, I 
I brought in the whoever's supposed to be the best. And that's why we continue to see certain brands like over and over, right? Like that get that work because regardless of what their reality is, because they're trusted, what builds trust brand. So actually should care more about having their brand and building trust than B2C because it's not for them. So true. And it's a bigger impact and a bigger investment typically than a consumer purchase. So that brand matters so much, you're right, to shift any kind of blame or to almost drive security in your decision, right, for performance. Like, why do you have committees, right? So, like, again, if you buy those shoes, you might beat yourself up for an afternoon, but whatever, like, you get over it, right? Like, that's, it's just you. But when you're buying, like, let's say a million dollar, you know, like solution, that's a whole different ball game. And you've got colleagues and, and stakeholders in the project, people that are depending on you. to So very, very different. Yeah. Do you see, because it's so hard to measure, and I love what you said about choose the meaningful over the measurable, amazing bumper sticker. Like so many people right now are talking about how ads are not working. And I think Chris Walker just did a whole analysis of Meta's report that was released showing, proving that meta ads don't work, right? And that's what I see all over my LinkedIn feed lately. But to me, whenever that becomes a topic of conversation, right, ads aren't working. When the ads are turned off, you see a decline in organic traffic, in direct traffic. To me, there's such a correlation that it's tied together because it's part of the brand. It's one of those 27 touches. Is that one really negative, bad way to measure it is by turning something off and then you see, oh, actually that did have an impact or is there a better way to do it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a fan of testing, but if you go back to kind of that basic premise of repetition drives revenue, right? And same thing, I see ads all the time. Jane, you see ads all the time. Everybody listening to this sees ads all the time. How many times do you click on these ads? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very few. And again, part of the big challenge is you're trying to get clicks, not consumption, and that should be your goal. Like, I don't care when we run ads, when we do stuff at Zen Media, I tell the team, I'm like, I don't care about clicks. Yeah. We're not getting clicks, guys. Like, to get a click, someone has to be in the right frame of mind, has to need all these things, blah, blah, blah. I'm just looking for exposure. And the way you know when your people talk to sales, like when I talk to certain people, they say, you guys are everywhere. Shama, you are everywhere. Zen Media is everywhere. Yeah. That is what you want. That is how you know it's working. Like that to me is so much more powerful than any of these other, like, yeah, you can sit there and measure whatever and look, you know, (laughs) or talk to people and and you will hear. I think so to me, that's really so incredibly powerful, right? The idea that it's not one channel, it's not one platform, it's not like does this work? And can things be made better? Yeah. Like that's the other thing. I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have a lot of success with ads. Yeah. How do we use those ads? Like I'll give you one kind of strategy tactic really that's been awesome is when we do PR, which is sort of our bread and butter for B2B, when we do PR campaigns and stuff, let's say we land a great piece. We use that and amplify that with advertising. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not we say, look how great we are. It's look what Forbes says, Fortune says, Inc. says, like, here's why we're so trusted, right? So it's kind of using that third-party credibility and trust and then amplifying it. So same thing. Are trade shows bad? No. Trade shows are great. Are events bad? No. But 
most of the time, the way these things are executed are CRAP. The execution yeah. is not great. And the execution needs work. So true. And I love what you're saying with consumption over clicks, because we hear a lot lately, especially in LinkedIn world, organic is zero click content, right? Where you're just consuming. <laughs> and I know we really do brand everything in B2B oh, so marketing. Because and someone showed me that zero click stuff. And then they were like, this is what you wrote about in your book. Like I wrote Zen of social media marketing literally yeah. 14 years ago now, right? The first edition. <laughs> And it says in there, consumption plus time equals conversion. Like yeah. aim for the consumption. And so, yes, we can call it whatever. <laughs> but if it gets people to pay attention, I guess it's cool. But yeah, look, I this I've been preaching all of this for a very long time. So I'm, I'm glad to see other people sharing this. And whether it's a yeah. new buzzword or whatever, great, right? Like rising tide raises all boats. I love it. And so I, yeah. I, I love to see things that, again, have been around for a long time, come back to the forefront. And, and now people, things also need to hit a tipping point, right? Like when I started Zen Media, it was, so, people would say, what is Twitter? Like, yeah, yeah. It, you know, like Facebook, due to what Jane, you did your thesis on, or you did your work on in, under, uh, in college, they'd say like, oh, that's something for my college student. Like that's never going to make it. Yeah. World. And you're like, okay. And so I think things do need to hit tipping points. So it's just funny. Like a lot of the things that I feel like I've talked about, it's just early, you know, you just don't yeah. know. The, I'll give you an example. Like I, when the metaverse came out or whatever, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. And I was on BBC yeah. and I did this interview and I was like, I was like, I don't think people are ready. I think we're focusing on the wrong things. I think augmented reality will be a big deal one day, right? Where it's, and that's kind of where Apple is going too, which is like, yeah, get away from screens and it becomes even more just kind of this world, the digital, physical, all in meshes together, but not these, like, it's not going to be the metaverse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's fun. I mean, I, I enjoy it. Look, I've been in the industry for a long time. It's fun to see and do, but yes, consumption should be the goal. Now is consumption harder to measure? Well, yeah, no, from like an impressions and from like, you can measure consumption. Can you connect it right back to your, that exact lead? Because nobody buys like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say we're doing this podcast together as we are right now, Jane, and someone goes, I want to learn more about like, what is she talking about this thing? And then they go to zenmedia.com or they go to our, yeah. our website. What am I going to see? It's going to say direct click. I'm never going to know that they heard me on this podcast with you or exactly. maybe they followed up. You just, you don't see that. You don't get that. Now, if they decide to fill out our contact form, yes, that, I mean, I we see that. We see that data and they may say, heard you on Jane's podcast, right? Sometimes yeah. very specific, which is awesome. They'll be like, I heard you and, and you talked about this and then we do, you know, which is great. And that's how I know they're marketers because they really care and they're giving me exactly the answer. <laughs> <laughs> a paragraph response on how they heard of you. <laughs> exactly. Then I'm like, yes, these are my people. Because, but otherwise, <laughs> right? It's, and it's just funny because people will just say like podcast. Okay. Well, yeah. Which yeah, so, exactly. So but you can't have a drop down because then they'll just select whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They've done research on that. They've done studies and people will just select the first because it doesn't matter to them. Right. No. That's like you said, like as a yeah. marketer, you might be like, let me help this person out or whatever. But like, yeah. generally, they don't care. And to be honest, neither should you. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, we all oh, true. We, I think we understand how it works. But like you said, I think the last few years, we've gotten so data delusional that we think everything is measurable and everything is clear. And it's just not. This is not reality. Can you make up all these things? Sure. If it makes you yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, there are ways where you can get like really good, solid data and you should look at that. Like we have a partnership with BYU and, and there are PhD data analytics teams and they're amazing. Like, for example, with one client, we were able to see like they did this statistical inference stuff and things. And they found out that after every social post, their website traffic sees a uptick seven days after the post. Oh, you would think it's immediate, but there's something about yeah. the outcome or views or whatever that it's seven days, right? Interesting. It's, there are ways, like with our clients, where we sort of dig in and see what's working and and make tweaks. But even without the sort of granular, I think we can all agree that the big picture <laughs> has not changed. But yeah, I think that's another reason why I like B2B too, is because I feel like I'm always attracted to sort of the Wild West plays. And this yeah. feels Wild West right now with how marketing is, is shifting in sales. And like, if you're not doing it this way, you're definitely seeing, you're feeling the pain. You're feeling the pain when your sales cycles are longer, when your salespeople are like, we can't close this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially so. right now, right? This year. So what do you do when you are launching a campaign or your team is launching a campaign for a client? And you need to show that this campaign, which could be using many different outlets, right, is working. Is it simply at the end of the day, looking at a revenue lift or an opportunity lift, or are there other metrics at play or any kind? Yeah. So I think it it goes back to what the client wants, right? So we have clients where they want leads and that's great. And so you can close and again, you can look at how quickly people move to your sales pipeline. Are they so these are all things you can measure. Then I think there's we have clients that they're just really smart and they're playing the long game. And so they're more interested in like, we have clients that are public companies. They're not looking for leads per se. Like they're looking yeah. more for talent acquisition and reputation and brand and to make sure that they stay relevant. I think that's sort of the key word is relevance. And that's a big yeah. part that we look at is like, are you relevant? Are you part of this conversation? Are you engaging with your audience? And and these clients are playing a different game altogether. You know, they're looking to build community. They're looking to, they're not short-term thinkers. Yeah. Yeah. Relevant. That makes sense. And you talked about PR. So I think that so many people in B2B marketing associate PR with trying to get an acquisition or be acquired, right? So you're just kind of doing the press release here and there so that when acquisition partners and VCs are researching, they see these footprints. But there's so much more to PR. Is there one glaring mistake that comes to mind that B2B marketers are making when it comes to PR? Yeah. So it's funny because I would say we're we're pretty split. Like I'd say maybe half our clients are on that sort of acquisition one day exit path. And then the other half have no interest at all or are the acquiring parties, right? So they're not looking at it from that lens. Yes. I mean, God, the press release, the traditional press release. <laughs> we can have a whole podcast on that. Look, I think yeah. media is very underrated. It is the most underrated thing. And a lot of it is because marketers just don't understand it. 
And I don't blame them because most marketers come from more the analytics data side of things or creative, but yeah. they are Remember, historically, the media has been separate. The media does this thing over here, and then marketing is over here. But these days, when people are the media, it's one and the same. It's very hard to separate that out. And so I think yeah. the best way to think about earned media is building that credibility, having those third parties vouch for you in an era where, yes, advertising trust is corroding. Like, I don't yeah. that's not news to anybody. So, but you have to look at earned media as a lot more than a press release. I mean, you, some of our clients, the best success we've had is through podcasts and getting in front of their right audience, right? Yeah. Like, that's in point. And so that, yeah. it's such a missed opportunity not to engage in that way. And the other kind of fallacy thing, sometimes we have clients like, well, we can't talk about our customers for whatever reason, right? And maybe they're working with government, happens more. And I'm like, that's fine. That doesn't yeah. mean you get to have a say in the industry or like, like they're under this delusion that if you don't have a case study and I'm like, mm, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And then the biggest thing that I think is sort of fascinating, which we at Zen really take a lot of pride in, which you don't see, it's not common, is that at the end of the day, earned media should help you move sales forward. And so, yeah. but most salespeople are never trained in that. Most marketers don't even know how to use that. So it's like training your sales team to use those media hits to further conversations, right? To nurture yeah. that pipeline. Hey, our VP was just on this podcast talking about this thing, you know, reminded me of our conversation. Here's a link. Read like exactly. how do you actually use this as you move prospects through? So I think there's just a lot, like PR by itself isn't going to do much. What are you going to do with a placement? But how mm -hmm. you use that placement, what, how you amplify it, like I said, running those ads, right, against what else said about you versus you saying, look how cool we are, yes. 100x more powerful than just yours. So I think this amplification, this being really strategic with sales, that's where you really get to see the power of, of earned media. So interesting. I never thought about podcasting and being like guest placements on podcasts being PR. But as soon as you said that, it clicked because it was—it's so accurate. It's just modern PR, and it's—it helps your brand. It—it's again the flywheel effect of you get on one podcast and you get on another, and it just perpetuates the brand and validates right and gives you more credibility, especially as you get on bigger and bigger shows. So that's a hundred percent PR. And your audience, right? Like you're, yeah. if you're in B two B, and your audience matters. Like yeah. If a company wanted to reach women marketers right now in B2B, Jane, they should be sponsoring this. Like, yeah. no brainer. Like if I had a client that yeah. said, I'd be like, yes, go sponsor Jane's podcast. Like go do some, these are great platforms. And I do think this is the future, by the way, we're not that far yeah. from it. And that's what we mean. Like, you know, I'm excited. Some days I'm like, ah, F it. We should just do work with B2C. Because yeah. <laughs> you know, we need a I break. Mean, <laughs> we have. I mean, that's the thing. We have B2C yeah. clients and we've won a yeah. lot of things, done cool, creative things and fun. But then I think like, man, but B2B is just on that precipice of like breakthrough yeah. point. Because at some point people change, right? It's, it's really two things. Everything that we ever want is either fear-based or desire-based. And I mm -hmm. think the desire has been what's what everyone's been pushing. It's like, look at this, look at everything that you could do. But now I think it's the fear of what happens if we don't do it, because look mm -hmm. at how our close ratios are dropping and competitors are taking market share and like 
So I think at the end of the day, that's really what's going to get people to take a hard look and say, we've got to be doing things differently. Do you find that that's working the fear side? Fear tactics are working more than desire tactics right now in this economy? I think it's what's pushing people. Yeah. Like I think marketers have always focused on desire. Like guys, we should do brand because it would be so good for our business. But now I think it's a matter of leadership saying, we're not closing. Like why does sales keep complaining? Like, what is happening? Why is this not yeah. enough? It's like, well, as we talked about <laughs> six months yeah. ago, a year ago, two years ago, right? This is what we should be doing. So I, yeah, yeah. I, I think that fear is going to be a strong motivator. One thing I want to make sure we we talk about, because I think I saw you tweet about this quasi recently, the rise finally of influencers in the B2B side of things. How have you seen that come about? And are you excited about this trend? If you could tell us your thoughts on B2B influencers. Yeah. So I'm super excited about it because for the last, like, you know, we've been doing B2B influencer marketing, I want to say for six, seven years now. Before thing, right? Before, yeah. I mean, I, I only know like us and maybe a handful, not even, maybe just like two. There's two firms that I know <laughs> that they really have that. So I love it because I think, again, this goes back to that fear side and this idea that media is not just your traditional journalist. Like if you mm-hmm. were talking about CFOs, for example, and there is a CFO and they're very active and they have a brand and they have the the ear of the community and they're like, why would you not pitch them? Why if they have a podcast? Yeah. Why would you not be on there? Like that is, those are your people. Like you've got to be. So I'm very excited about it. And also because no matter how niche something is, there's a community for it. Like we did this cool campaign, which really stood out for me. And uh, the company sold commercial cameras for construction sites. You know, yeah. and so we were able to do an influencer campaign around that. And it was so successful. And if you think like, oh, that's so niche, like these yeah. are regular video cameras, right? Like we're targeting construction managers, like construction sites to use these, these tools. And so, yeah, there's just so many examples of that. So I'm very excited. On the flip side, I've been an influencer, am an influencer for companies. I've done stuff with Microsoft and Grammarly and Mm-hmm. Sam Rush and like so it's kind of cool to like I think be on both sides because I see the mistakes brands make and then I see Amazing. the opportunities and so then when we run campaigns we're able to sort of bring all of that to bear on um, you know but that's why I strongly believe that PR marketing this is all getting one umbrella influencers it's the same thing it's getting yeah. repetition to drive revenue and, and increasing exposure and trust for your brand like these are all sort of, you could see intangibles, but at the end of the day, they're made very tangible by your market share. Yep. I love this. So it's all kind of coming back to PR and I have so many Shema quotes from this call, but people are the, the new media. I love that. There's so many shirts we could print from this, <laughs> from this conversation, but I want to for sure also come back to your personal journey in this profession, right? And I like to share with the audience we have a ton of tactics and things to think about on the career side and execution side. But personally, as you've come up in this career, you're you're obviously amazingly successful. Kudos, you're an inspiration to all women in marketing, B2B and B2C. So thank you. Can you walk us through one of the biggest hurdles you've overcome in through your rise in your career? Yeah. Thank you, Jane. That's very sweet of you. Yeah. I would say 
So I love the challenge, right? And I tell people like, if you don't like solving problems every day, don't be an entrepreneur. Because I think they're yeah. so, it's so glamorized these days, especially like, you know, ooh, I'm going to, I'm like, like they ask them, do you like problems? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you so, you like solving problems. Like every day, do you want a new challenge? And they're like, yeah. no, I don't know about that. It's like, oh, <laughs> probably not for you. So yeah. I will say, I think this the things that frustrate me are also the things that propel me. Mm. And so this lack of understanding in the marketplace is challenging but also propels me because I'm like, I, li- I like being that voice for marketers. I like being that source of, of kind of someone's articles they can share with their boss and be like, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> so I think within that, there's the opportunity. And then, of course, you know, running an agency, I'm constantly looking at, you know, how can I be a better leader? And I think there's no easy answers to that. I think that's, again, yeah. one of those things that's a real challenge. But also, how do you continue to get better at it? And, mm-hmm. and have more empathy and still make the hard decisions and know that not everybody will understand or appreciate or even be on board <laughs> with all your decisions and they may yeah. do it differently. But, you know, so I think the, all those things. So, yes. Yeah, so, like, I don't know if there's one specific, wow, this big hurdle in, in time, but I think it's a daily endeavor to yeah. you know, for to make progress and do better and to sort of be a voice in this community that says perhaps what others are thinking, but may not be able to say it or may not be able to say it so loudly. Yeah. Yeah. Having that, that strength to be able to be that voice and you're right. It is daily hurdles, right? So it's hard to to pinpoint one because there's just something comes up every day. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure as an entrepreneur, 10 X. <laughs> yes. And I think one of the things that helps is that, sound a little odd, but I never minded being the villain. Like, I don't mind being the bad guy when I, if that's what it takes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) get the message across, then, then so be it. Yeah. I love that. Cause it also, the villain doesn't have to be like the bad guy. It's just telling the truth, right? Like telling it like it is to make a change. I love that. That's so true. You have to be able to speak your mind in a room full of people, often mostly men, <laughs> and yeah. be able to get your point across. I think the nice thing is that I don't care so much what people think, good, bad, mm. or right. Like it doesn't. If it's great, wonderful. If it's bad, fine. Like no, like I just keep moving forward with what sort of my true north is, and I don't get bogged down by that. And I think when you're younger, and when I was younger in my career, that was harder. Yeah, because it's easy to get caught up in the applause. It's also just as easy to feel the weight of criticism, especially if it's from someone that you might care about, right? And like in terms of like you value what they think. Yeah. But I think as you get older, you just realize that you have to follow your true north and it may not be everybody's true north and and just keep moving forward with that. And I even tell marketers, like for those listening who are at companies and you're trying to do good work, because just talking to a CMO last week and I told him, I said, listen, you have to be in a place where you can get more at bats because this is your point in your career where you should be getting home runs. And if you're not in an environment that allows you many at bats and you can't get that, you you know, that it doesn't give you the opportunity for home runs, you should find another home. Mm. And I think that's very important because there is no lack of marketers with very mediocre resumes. And I'll say this with a lot of love it's because they haven't been at places that let them market. And I think it's challenging for B2B. 
And it, uh, I wrote this piece le- recently where I said, it's not a marketing problem. B2B has a culture problem. And our culture mm. problem is that we don't value marketing. And unless that changes, we're going to lose good talent because good talent isn't going to want to stick around where they can't make an impact or do their job. So if good talent continues to be used as a as a glorified designer or like bringing my coffee plus, whatever that looks yeah. like, space, they're not going to stick around. And at the end of the day, that's going to be more harmful for the company, the industry as a whole. So yeah, I think those are important things. I think about those things is what kind of environment do I want to create, right? At Zen and places where people can get at bats and thrive. And so even when we yeah. work with clients, it's like, we think about it and I tell people very selfishly, could this be a case study? Could we knock this out of the park? And if there's no room to do that, then is this a project, you know, you really want to work on? Yeah. I love these checkpoints just to, to kind of pause and ask yourself these questions about the at-bats and could this be a case study? That's such a good question because everything should be case study worthy that you're working on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And doesn't mean you won't fail. Doesn't mean you, you know, you don't have, but again, at-bats. And that's challenging in B2B where you don't get to do a lot of these campaigns and try a lot of these things because not because there's not budgets or money. Let's face it. The money's there, right? It may not be allocated in the right way, but these things are there. So it's like, do you get the opportunity to do those events, to build that community, to invest Amazing. Well, I think you touched on this, but one last question to round us out is, if you were talking to Shema just starting out, creating Zen Media, or <laughs> writing your thesis, even going back a little further, right? What would you tell her about the future to help her succeed? I would tell her that one day she would be married to a very handsome man. We'd <laughs> 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 say, look for six two and green eyes, and <laughs> and have two lovely children. No, I. And I would say these things to myself only to say, don't worry about that. Because I think when you're younger, right, as as a woman, it's like you think about those things. And so, yes, I would say that I would definitely (laughs) say that to myself. Like, you'll be great. Don't you worry. I would say think bigger because it's funny. Like, again, so many of the things that I see today are things that I was talking about, but in smaller venues and smaller platforms and feeling, could I take up this much space? And I think that men naturally don't have that problem. They don't Mm -hmm. ask themselves that. They never question it. They just take that space. And I think if I was younger, I would say take that space and take it unapologetically. And so, you know, because I mean, look, I I came to the U.S. as an an immigrant kid. And so everything is a fantasy. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, this is my life. I can't believe I get to do these things. I can't believe I get to talk to these people. Like, it's really cool. Yeah. I think it's important to think bigger. Like some of the platforms that came out, I was like, I could have created that SaaS platform. Like we could have done that. And the only thing I didn't was like, I just didn't think that big. Yeah. Yeah. So think bigger and take up space. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you for talking to me today. I appreciate you you coming on the show. Big name on a small show means a lot to us. So thank you. Oh, pleasure's all mine, Jane. Thank you so much. This was a fun time for me. Amazing. Come back anytime. And thank you everybody for listening. Appreciate it. If you like the show, I'm sure you love this episode. Review, like, share with a friend. It helps the show grow. So thank you, everybody. 